often I see the, the athletes who do most like mobility stuff be- before they can train. They're reminding themselves that they're in pain instead of just having that that mindset of I can go into the gym and I can do my warm up sets. If there is something that feels a little bit off, I have my toolbox of things I can do between my warm up sets or whatever. You shouldn't feel like you have to do 45 minutes of mobility drills every time you go and uh, and work out. The fitness movement is brought to you by Zor Fitness. We offer coaching and individualized program design, as well as educational content for coaches and athletes. It's all at one place, ZorFitness.com. Today, I have Casper Venther on the show. He is a physiotherapist and strength coach, and he owns Nordic Performance Training, which is located in Copenhagen in Denmark. Casper used to work at a practice before actually deciding to open up his own facility. And since then, he's had the opportunity to work with everybody from the general fitness and health-related client uh, to people with aesthetic goals all the way up to the people in the top tier of CrossFit, including Andre Houdet, who we talk about quite a bit in the podcast. Casper has the reins of all of his strength training, and then Andre sort of works a lot of his CrossFit and conditioning work around that schedule. Just a little bit of context for the conversation since we talk about Andre quite a bit. He finished top five in Denmark the past four years. In the last two years, he qualified for the CrossFit Games in 2021 and 2022. Today, we discussed a number of things, including why stability and creating high support through the setup of an exercise is so important to be able to express strength in a lift, how Casper thinks about developing strength in a movement pattern, squatting strength or uh, upper body pressing is two of the examples that we go over. Talk about the importance and the role of hypertrophy and that type of training for CrossFit athletes specifically and how to go about that. And we get into the nuances of that as well. For example, like the role of length in versus shortened ranges of motion for taxing and biasing certain aspects of a muscle and ultimately improving the strength and contractile potential. Also how to think about exercise selection for developing that force potential specifically to CrossFit athletes. We talk about how to develop strength without lifting maximally all the time. And lastly, how to improve your potential for strength production without just doing more of the same types of work. This is a great episode for anybody who's looking to bulletproof their body and express their best fitness. You can learn more about Casper and his business if you go to nordicperformancetraining.com. He's in-person and remote training. You can also follow him on Instagram at Vinthers as well as at Nordic Performance Training. I start off by letting Casper know just how impressed I am with his English-speaking abilities. Sometimes it may be a little rusty in what we call, uh, we call it Danglish. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a mix. Yeah, but, uh, yeah exactly. Just uh, sound like a, a Danish politician or something that's trying to pocket uh, <laughs> some top meaning, but I'll do my best. No, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I only ever speak English. I took a little bit of Spanish in high school and it was, it was terrible. I was, I mean, it doesn't help when everyone around you speaks English and you don't ever really use it in conversation, but I'm, I'm still always impressed when people are bilingual or know a bunch of languages. So, um, you were a physical therapist, right? Or still yeah, are so, a certified physical therapist. Yeah. But my profession is a physiotherapist and I do, I do 
well, what I call physical therapist is probably what most people would just call like strength and conditioning training. But that's we just um, we have this like approach that's just centered around resistance training and an active approach. Uh, so we don't really have any. I think we're probably one of the only spaces of like physical therapists that don't have any like passive modalities, uh, like mm. treatment modalities. Uh, we do, we don't even have a, like a treatment table or anything. Mm. Uh, it's just it's just all about being active and um, and everything is centered around like the, the gym environment. <clears throat> so trying to so, change it up. Yeah, I. How did I mean? I'm kind of curious. Like, did did you feel like your your schooling like set you up well to do what you do now and kind of you know uh, treat people in a more like functional approach? Did you feel like your schooling helped you with that, or was there like a, a learning gap at all? Obviously, something uh, has given me an advantage in terms of like just regular string training. It gives you <clears throat> a. a, a and knowledge base that's that's good in terms of also like uh, ongoing uh, education afterwards just understanding like more like uh, anatomy terms and all that kind of stuff but in other ways it's um it's it's not always a good thing with like taking like here in denmark especially like pt um like the physical therapist uh education because it's very focused on as i talked about like passive modalities and a lot of testing and finding diagnoses and all that kind of stuff, which can be great, but but I think a lot of people like they tend to focus too much on those stuff and just instead of looking at the the individual in front of them. Um, and, uh, and I think that's why people they we have we have good outcomes because it's more about, we don't really see it like people as something that needs to be fixed, but but more like um yeah, that active approach we always take. Um, yeah. so in some ways, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anybody who's coming out of, uh, you know, an, an educational background and going into a field, like you're just going to have a learning curve that happens naturally because no matter what, it's always your day to day, what you're, you're actually doing and like your career is different than like, you know, you're, you have more of like a broad scope in education and then it gets narrowed down when you're actually day to day, like what you're doing more so. Yeah. At least that's like the the way I've kind of thought about it when I worked as a physical therapist, like the way, the way we work on clinics and all that kind of stuff back in the days, we see a lot of people. So the thing we really, the thing you really learn is just speaking to people and uh, um, like, it's more people skills than anything else. That's mm. at least what I feel like is most valuable. Yeah. So I, I heard you say before that you don't do a, like a lot of testing. You don't have like a, for example, like a movement screen that you take like new clients through, um, and it's more so just like you watching them as they're actually like doing their, their training, like you sort of get in the training or like, that's at least how I interpreted what you said. Um, do you want to expand upon that anymore? Like what that intake process kind of looks like for, uh, someone that you're working with? Yeah. So basically when people, they come to us, they, we may have like an initial like consult where we, of course, um, we can do some, some form of testing, but it doesn't really have to be that traditional form of, of laying laying on on a like a treatment table and uh, and testing uh, mm. range of motion all that kind of stuff uh, or like trying to because what we are educated in is like finding flaws right um which doesn't like the wrong it's a wrong term to say flaws but that's what we like it's it's um biomechanical abnormalities or whatever 
Yeah, like a deficit. Yeah, which often is completely irrelevant to test, and it's often a waste of time. We just need to uh, um, cover all, like, if there is any red flags or yellow flags, that's what we call it, things we have to take seriously. If not, then um, it's it's a it's a good change of pace for people to not get like when people come if they have like some sort of pain issue or, or whatever they've been to multiple other health uh, care providers or physical therapists or chiropractors whatever and they've all been through the test several times and everyone gets a different result um, so 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 we do as little as that as possible only when it's uh, when we feel like it's it's necessary and then of course the training in and of itself is a movement screen mm-hmm. uh, and and the more it's like real training and not a movement screen the more it's a, in my opinion a real movement screen because of course as we go up in intensities and all that kind of stuff we see quote-unquote the real movement patterns that are like uh, essential for what most people at least want to do or want to get back to doing yeah uh, yeah and at least in my experience like a lot of a lot of like pretty good athletes still have like if again if you're we like laying on a table and take like the the PT approach to things like they'd have a lot of deficits or like deficiencies um, mm-hmm. like like stuff that like a PT would be like oh I want to fix this and it's like certainly like that that could have an improvement from maybe like maybe not even more injury prevention but just like maybe from like moving economy or like getting them in the best positions but oftentimes like those athletes still have like they still can like figure out a way to move and it's like the way that they've done it for so many years that it's like, if you try to unwind mm-hmm. that it often just causes more issues than if you just kind of, you know, let them kind of move the way they naturally would. Yeah. Like the athletes, of course, they're like specialists in finding uh, new ways to move. Like um, that's just because they're so like fluent in movement, so to speak. And, and um, so of course, you can you can you can try and improve someone's dorsal flexion or whatever like angle mobility or whatever or you can just teach them how to put them in a squat that forces them to the body to adapt to um, to, to get those squats stronger and let the nervous system choose to to move into dorsal flexion but uh, what i always for me it's more about like the the, fr- uh, the like the fragile mindset someone often gets from seeing multiple providers and getting a, a whole lot of different mobility drills and bandage stuff mm-hmm. and all that kind of kind of things because uh, the, you, you will experience pain sometimes if you're a high level athlete but often i see the, the athletes who do most like mobility stuff be- before they can train they're reminding themselves that they're in pain uh, instead of just having that that mindset of i can go into the gym and i can do my warm-up sets if there is something that feels a little bit off, I have my toolbox of things I can do between my warm-up sets or whatever. You shouldn't feel like you have to do 45 minutes of mobility drills every time you go and uh, and work out. It's something I've I've often I've, I've heard from the clients I work with that uh, responds well to this mindset. That when they get out of this mindset of having to do all their mobility stuff, it, it actually Im- improves their sessions a whole lot. Also, like the the whole like instead of wasting time laying on a foam roller on your mobile phone you get in you get to the gym and, and that's the environment where you where you work out it's not the environment where you do mobility drills <laughs> yeah I, that's definitely something that i've noticed is the athletes who can just do like some specific mobility like for example if they're back squatting do like a couple of different variations of you know getting into a squat basically and then start actually doing the actual movement 
like, and then building up and just doing the thing. Like if you can get used to doing that, like you're, it seems counterintuitive, but almost like those people seem to have better longevity a lot of times in that movement. Um, Whereas like the people, like you're saying, who are like really kind of use the whole, like I have to do all these activations and all these mobility drills and like all this, like, you know, long protocol things, just to be able to get to the, whatever, you know, say they're going to strength move to be able to get to that. Um, Yeah. They just like seem to, I don't know. They don't have as much longevity in my experience. No. Yeah. And, and it's also for more, for me, if you feel like you have to do those, those types of stuff, it's, it may be something like in your mentality, but it could also just be looking, maybe we should look at the programming instead. Mm. Uh, maybe it's a, a volume issue or a load tolerance issue or something. It, uh, and of course, if you're a high level athlete, you need to have those tools if you're in competition, but like in the training season and earlier, you, you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to, do those types of stuff in my opinion but yeah. everyone is different and and it's it's a it's about the coach and the athlete uh like you um I, I wouldn't if someone has been doing that for a long time i wouldn't just on the first session say to them no that's that's stupid why are you doing this just let just challenge that mindset after working together for a period of time and see if you can find like a common ground uh and tr- try out something else because Sometimes it's it's that simple. Just don't do stuff that reminds you that you're fragile mm. <laughs> or the feeling of fragility. So let's say you have an athlete and there there's someone, for example, let's just say they're a CrossFitter because that's a lot of people I work with. So it's an easy example for me. Um, and you're just doing some of their their strength and assistance work, um, not just because that's a big part of the program, but. Uh, let's say that you have somebody and they are that situation where uh, that they have either joint stuff or they just feel like they have like this, you know, again, like a laundry list that they have to go through. What kind of factors, like you were saying, how like you could manipulate volume or intensity or start to, to prune back some of that stuff. How might you start to like manipulate those factors to, to start to move them in the direction that you want them to go? Uh, it's a little hard to like, it, it depends on, where they're at like how does the how does everything look like um i i typically just move them as much as possible over to the way that i like to do it mm. because then i have like the like the the framework from where i can we can change stuff going forward and then of course of course like um the movement quality and the move like the exercise selection all that kind of stuff i feel like the, it makes a huge difference because as a, a a crossfit athlete you tend to do a whole lot of volume like no matter what, so being more efficient in what we're doing in the for the strength and the accessory bodybuilding type stuff, whatever, will have huge um, a huge impact on the total like amount of volume you're doing. Um, and it may sound counterintuitive saying like we're working on hypertrophy and the volume becomes it goes down because a lot of people they they feel like increase in volume is like the main driver of hypertrophy, but uh, look like learning how to move more efficiently and having good exercise selection we can actually perform less and get more effective volume quote unquote um, mm. so it's, it's it's a it's a it's like a, it's a very multifactorial um approach it's not like just go lower the volume or whatever but i right. i personally like it for, when it comes to volume i personally like to have it as the volume as quote unquote low as possible but then focus more on, on intensity factors but, but because that's what really that's the stimulus where we need. That's the we just need to have enough uh, 
sufficient volume and then we can always build it up yeah and and often if it is someone who is doing something like crossfit they're doing so many contractions in the same patterns on a weekly basis already and they've likely done that if there's someone who's more of a veteran athlete they've been doing that for years so just throwing at more at them is only gonna exasperate problems that they have already so you work with on andre Houdet and you know maybe maybe we could we don't have to use him but we could say like someone like him right and you know I, i've heard him say that like for example he he really only tends to squat super heavy like once a week and that's been mm -hmm. a good frequency for him just because he's doing so many other squatting contractions in his like crossfit training that that's kind of a, a good frequency is that something that you kind of helped him arrive at or or maybe how you could just use him as an example like how would you think about developing uh, his squat in terms of volume and frequency throughout his week yeah so i think typically when crossfitters they um they seek out help in terms of getting stronger. They might look more to powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting, yeah. where we have we have a sport that's only centered around two or three lifts, and and we know that frequency is a it's a very efficient tool in terms of getting good at at, at certain movements. So they uh, take a program. Let's say you squat at least twice a week, but maybe three, bench three or four, and then you deadlift twice maybe if you're doing crossfit at the same time that should be it should be pretty obvious that it may be too much uh, and with some lifters mentality they they just they feel like they want to be better at something to, so they just smash it very hard and they like up the intensity training close proximity to failure all the time um where what what i tend to do or what we tend to do with uh, high level crossfit athletes um at least in the beginning is somewhat the opposite so we we lower the frequency of a lift and 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 make sure that that's like a that's the primary day for like they have one primary day for that lift uh, where you need to be the strongest and have have your highest amount of readiness and and highest performance abilities um so uh, as you mentioned with andre he he normally has like one day that's dedicated to the squat pattern that's his like primary squat day often we pair with some presses some delt work and some quad accessory but on this session um both the relative and the absolute loads will be the highest um and he knows that's the day that he has to come in fresh and perform um and let's say if you place that session on monday um he of course has the way he does it he has his weightlifting session play uh, placed later so already by having that, he all, he has the, the squat pattern twice a week. So that functions in some way as a um, a secondary day. Um, so we, we we might not even have to add any more squatting because he has the weightlifting, but we could add maybe a squat pattern um, with, with relatively lower intensities, having like self-limiting uh, variations in terms of load. So safety bar, pauses, power stuff, uh, machine. Um, so we can practice the movement, have, have a higher frequency of practice, but stay very cognitive about that you still have fatigue left over from the primary session we did on Monday. So we in, we're going to enter that session with a theoretically lower estimated one rep max, but that's okay because we don't have to push the intensities as much as we do on the on the on the primary day. So we manage fatigue levels um, and make sure that he's as strong as possible on the primary day. And then we have that secondary day that induces less stress, but 
has the skill practice and the, the, a little bit more volume if needed. And, and he's still able to recover, come back and then peak on the primary sessions. So it's it's like the, the split you choose is, in my opinion, extremely important. And there's a huge difference in like, for me, I'm not a, a per, uh, an expert in CrossFit programming by any way, but uh, it, it has to be a little bit different than what we do from for like general population clients, which is what we, before, <clears throat> before I started working, like Andre, he hired me to help him. That's all we work with. And what the majority of the, the clients we help in uh, in our gym is, of course. So you might look at the uh, the, the the training split and 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 think it's, it looks like an old school bodybuilding split. Like you 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 have like a th- uh, three different sessions uh, or four different sessions um, where you only have uh, one muscle group. The frequency is, pr- is 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 mainly just once, and then you might have um, a secondary day. But very rarely do we have like tertiary days like you would if you were a high level powerlifter. Um, and 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 also it's crossfit so it's you're not you're not going to be a specialist in squatting you just need to continuously get a little bit better and having higher frequency takes away from you practicing other stuff but yeah everyone is a bit different but in my opinion from what i've seen for crossfitters it tends to work very well with that um that setup no that makes a lot of sense to me i mean even for conditioning work i've been going to like before I would never run like a, a single session progression for like energy systems training for somebody like, you know, if I'm trying to improve their 2k row, like it, like previously, like several years ago, like I, I wouldn't have ever run a progression. That's like a 2k row progression, get that to them once a week. But if you're doing enough other conditioning work, it supports it where that one session becomes enough. And yeah, that totally makes sense as to, to why you're kind of going that, that route with things. So Let's say somebody is trying to improve uh, like overhead pressing and they're, they're a CrossFit athlete. If we just stick on that example, is, is it a similar thing where like one day you're probably focused on like the, their, their priority movement, which is like maybe more specific, maybe it's actually with like a barbell or something. And then it's maybe again, like more of a secondary day to support that potentially down, down then like later on in the week or, or would it be slightly different? Uh it can be both like uh if we if we go the route with uh with like a, a, a something like a three split or a quarter split i will only have like a the overhead press pattern once a week um we might have uh we can also use the upper lower split and then have some type of of pressing twice a week mm-hmm. um but again it for like i would rather have them train it once a week and then see like slowly um slow but 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 sure progressions over a longer period of time instead of um of course we could just like what i've been doing a little bit more recently is if it's a weak point and they're not very good at the exercise because someone like andre he is he's he moves very well in everything and he, he learns it he can do it like every just do an exercise once a month and still be pretty pretty uh a pretty good mover like uh yeah, uh, he, he's cutting his moving coordination is on point almost no matter what. He just needs a few practice lifts on the same day and then he's good to go. But with with um, with other clients, we may need to have something like uh, so you can have like your primary session and then on the secondary day, we could do 50% and then just do more of a power variation. Or uh, like again, just have that, that primary day be the high intensities 
and then the relative intensities be lower on the on the secondary day. Uh, being cognitive that our estimated one remax is of course low on the secondary day, but we need to have some movement practice or um, stimulate a bit more hypertrophy if it's hard for us to get enough volume on, on one session. So it's mm. it's a little hard to come with like like specific yeah uh, setups for it, but that's like the, that's more the fo- the thought process I have is we have one primary session, then we can have one day where we just stimulate the high threshold more units a bit and uh, and work on the the, the movement. Um, uh, coordination but it's not really it's not a what we call a hot session made for like hot, like uh, the where we need the adaptations to uh, to happen or get stimulated um mm. so and so i i prefer to give crossfitters three or four days a week where they, it's very adaptation focused and then from all the other volume they're doing i know that they're hitting stuff again and they're probably hitting more than they tell me so <laughs> I, I i know they get to get the, a bit of the stimulus uh, anyway in, in, without me having to program more, uh, even more sessions than those three or four weekly sessions or even two, as a matter of fact. So uh, to you, what role does like having uh, exercise selection that's where like a, a muscle's in like a lengthened or shortened position? And maybe you could just give like a, a brief example of like uh, what you mean by that. Uh, but like how how might you, for example, uh, one of the things you mentioned was like potentially reducing the volume by getting a little bit more specific with things, and I think that's maybe one of the things that you were alluding to. Like, what would be an example of that, and then how might you uh, manipulate that into an athlete's week? So yeah, in terms of the the volume stuff, manipulating that, it 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 depends a little bit on if it, if it's um, hypertrophy work we're trying to incorporate because that's become quite popular to to like focus on which makes a lot of sense because it's it sets you up for for more success in the sport like if you look at like game satellite you see you need to have some some muscle on on your on your frame but um when we like both in uh, in hypertrophy and strength there's like a, a threshold of a volume we need to we often need to uh, to reach but there are also uh, diminishing returns when we get too far down the the volume uh, rabbit hole. So if we're training for uh, for strength, so now we're not really talking so much about the length and shortened part, but I guess we can just allude back to that. But um, we of course we want more sets um, of uh, relatively uh, lower uh, repetitions, the load being higher, but we stay further away from from um, from repetition failure. Because each repetition is is, uh, is like the first repetition in a in a strength set, so to speak, is more stimulative than the last one because of the accumulated fatigue and because um, at the bar velocity starts to slow down. So total uh, strength uh, production capabilities that we are that we are training in in, in that movement becomes um, less and less. As we as we um, get further into the session or in, into a set, when the so right. so what we that's that's why we, we do back off sets and all that kind of stuff where yeah. we make sure that we can keep a relatively high amount of of, of uh, force production on the set. But when we train for hypertrophy, it's a bit you can see it a bit as the reverse where we want to have enough repetitions that are that are relatively slow because that's when we sense the most mechanical tension in the individual muscle fibers. Which then stimulates 
to um, to mechanotransduction to to hypertrophy, um, and that's like that's very costly in terms of recovery because we tend to do that in more like lengthen exercises when we when we talk about hypertrophy because that's where we can generate the most tension and we can get what's called stretch mediated hypertrophy, but it also comes with more of a it, it comes with a price uh, like recovery wise because it tends to lead to more mechanical trauma uh, to the tissues we're training. And that's where we can start to not worry, but talk about which um, length which we're training the muscles at. Um, because we now we, we have evidence that longer length are better for hypertrophy seen in isolation. Uh, but we also have evidence that su suggests that shorter range exercises cause uh, less CNS and peripheral um, fatigue and soreness. Um, so, so we may move more of our like accessory movement, uh, the volume we're doing there, there over to more shortened exercises. Uh, if you want to keep fatigue levels and soreness low, um, so and that makes sense for even um, every everyone from like beginners to advanced uh, athletes or beginners coming back for uh, from from a vacation, whatever. We don't want them to wake up being too sore the, the next day. But athletes who are like getting close to competition, you're tapering, um, or you're just mitigating soreness. Having those tools of moving more of your accessory to something that's hardest in the short, more shortened uh, range, can be pretty uh, pretty valuable. At least that's what we've been doing a lot with um, with someone like uh, someone like Andre, who incorporates some like leg extensions, uh, hamstring curls, all that kind of stuff to his training instead of adding more accessory work that's hardest in the lengthened position as well, because he knows like the soreness, uh, like you can perform if you're sore, of course, but um, it, it's a lot harder than if you feel more fresh, like feel more fresh. So I want him to leave each session still feeling pretty fresh when it's strength training and come back to the next session feeling, uh, feeling strong again. And as long as he get, he gets enough volume in the lengthened that is, that is keep, he keeps on growing. Then we are, and we're happy. So could you give some more examples of like exercises of that might be in like a, a shortened versus lengthened position just for people listening that they could maybe like yeah. visualize it? So um, a classic example is something like a, a leg extension. So when it comes to quads, it's very hard to to train uh, train them where they where they're maximally contracted so you're in a relative uh, degree of hip flexion and your uh, knee is totally extended when you're at the top of a leg extension so all the 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 four all the quadriceps muscles are completely contracted so that's the most shortened range you can get in for the quads it doesn't have to be the most shortened range when you're training it's just we have like it's a spectrum but um let's say for example if people are, are creating their own training program and they are training for it could be either be strength or hypertrophy and they have six sets of squats or whatever instead of adding a sissy squat or um, some type of spit squat that, that really targets the quads afterwards you could you could incorporate leg extensions um because it's it's still going to work your quads you're going to get some some good stimulus but it's way easier to recover from uh, and the same applies to um to something like um uh, hamstring girls um 
when you're lying hamstring curls, hardest in the tend to be it depends on the exit like the machine you're using tends to be hardest in the sh in the short position. Um, so you can you can get a bit more volume there in like in relative to what you can do in a Romanian deadlift. As most people have done in like stiff legged deadlift, they know they get sore if they push like only one set maybe, but you can do more sets of hamstring curls without getting super sore. So it's a way to 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 get in more volume if needed, improve like proprioception and and everything just uh, in in the entire range of motion of the joint. And and this is just from um, this is more like experience based, but doing uh, like leg extensions, lateral raises that are like wide raises hard at the top, athletes tend to feel more like stable in their joints, uh, catching stuff overhead. Mm -hmm. um, and if they have, have problems with the, like the knee, front of the knee or whatever, I, I tend to use, and then we talked about movement assessments, just doing a set of leg extensions, see if they could extend the knee all the way up. If you're an elite athlete that can squat above 100, yeah, hundreds of kilos, uh, you should be able to extend your knee all the way off. If not, I see that's like something that we can, like a low-hanging fruit that we can improve. Yeah. And I, I, we don't really know the mechanisms why that should help or if it's a placebo or whatever, but it's it's something that we could yeah. work on. Yeah. It seems like a, a lot of, again, if I just go back to crossers because that's who I work with a lot, it's, it's like, man, a lot of them lack the the end range of motion, like you're saying in the shortened position in particular. So when they're overhead, that last little bit of like actually having control of that range of motion, like same thing, like oftentimes with the amount of squatting that they're doing, like they don't get like that terminal knee extension as much. Um, you know, certainly they, a lot of CrossFitters lack just hamstring strength overall. So like, there's lots of things like even hip extension, like you think with all the weightlifting that they do, that they'd have great hip extension. A lot of them don't. Um, yeah. So even like barbell glute bridges and things oftentimes is I'm starting to give a lot more of that kind of stuff because yeah, it seems like just, it helps. Yeah. Make people a little bit more less susceptible to injury and just feel better and more stable. Like you're saying when they're, they're catching weights and just moving. Yeah. gives them a little more longevity. Yeah. yeah and I'm, we're not really sure. Like I can't tell you why that is, but, um, but again, if some, if, I had like a, a a big guy who snatches one thirty. He couldn't do a, a, a Y raise in the in a cable with the like with the counterweight on the uh, on the on the like the counterweight plate on the cable. Yeah. Um, which like again, it's it's a simple simple way to to increase like um, like tolerance and maybe also confidence. Um, when catching, like it's just your nervous system gets used to being strong in the position that you want. Too. So it's just the sum of all the parts you're looking at, and like that needs to carry over to the to the big compound lift you're doing. And also, uh, using Andre as an example again, when he's now he's he's very efficient and doing all these quote unquote bodybuilding type stuff like leg extensions, wide raises, rows. He if he comes into a session and he feels a little maybe a little bit beat up, either like um, like he needs. Um, he needs to get in the zone, you know. Sometimes you you you're ready in this middle, like in the start of the session. Sometimes you need a little pick me up. He can just reverse the like turn the session around and just start with the shortened type stuff first uh, as a way of just turning on the nervous system and get that get that out of the way. 
and you get a little pump and um that tends to make Things people start feeling better, better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same as like doing hamstring curls before squatting i use that a, a lot if people they complain about knee pain instead of trying to micromanage the joints and everything do a bit of uh, hamstring curls a good squeeze on the at the top uh as you're warming up between your your, your set your 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 warm-up sets and see if that doesn't quote-unquote fix the fix the problem and then you have that in your toolbox instead yeah. of like looking too much on tibial rotation and and all that kind of like yeah and, and i think if you have a, a more experienced athlete you're working with you can start to play with those factors a little bit more like you if you have someone who's been you know exposing themselves to strength and endurance training the last decade like and they're they're kind of the case before like where they're taking you know 40 minutes to get warmed up for their snatch session you can kind of flip that around give them some aerobic work at the beginning they feel super warm and like their joints prep a lot quicker and mm. now they they still can feel good when they actually go to do their strength work and they can still express really well on that but it's just a way of like switching things around so that they can still get productive training in and not just like quote unquote like waste a lot of time in the beginning of their session but they're still not blunted that much when they actually go to express their strength work either and i i, I feel like it doesn't really it doesn't even have to be like quote unquote wasting time because if you're training twice twice a day and you need to spend 40 minutes doing mobility work you are yeah you are pretty yeah. much wasting time <laughs> if you not do that like if you could get use your preparation sets to get ready instead um and you would have more energy and just um yeah just use the the, the preparation sets and the warm-up sets as, as your way to get ready as you get to your top sets or whatever doing too much before we just mask your uh, mm. your like yeah mask your performance too much i think um and uh, again like when um like confidence wise i also remember him and other athletes telling me that at the games or at big competitions, seeing all the other guys on the, on the last two or three days, just foam rolling and stretching and doing banded stuff. And he, they just, okay, they feel great. Like they can do a bit of, like they feel like they want to do some leg extensions and squats instead because they know that makes them feel, feel good instead of having to, uh, to do a whole lot of mobility drills all the, all the time. They just, they just warm up. Like that's, that's, crazy good for the, uh, the confidence of an athlete going into the last days of competition, seeing everyone else feel beat up, but you just feel great because you're, you like, maybe it's also, uh, um, just because the way we structure the training, we use that accessory work to drive up their, um, uh, how much volume, like the, the volume tolerance. So uh, often when I see when people, they, they progress volume, they start, let's say you have, you do. Uh, you have three sets of three in a in a in a as your like top sets, whatever. People they go from three sets of three to four sets of three, and then five sets of three, and then six sets of three. But from going going from that to 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 like just straight sets of five sets of three, you have a a million different ways to you can progress volume by using accessory work instead. So you can still do your squats, maybe just a few sets, and you could do your hack squats afterwards as back off. Or, and then you can use leg extension and other type of stuff to build even more tolerance uh, over like a, a block of training. Then when you come back, then you can add instead of adding a, a, a work like a top set more, you can just add 
um, a middle set or a back offset more or more accessory work. You just keep doing that. And then at one point, you can just add that extra set. Um, so your volume tolerance has improved over, let's just say, half, half six months or a year, while others, they, they follow that linear process of, uh, like, oh, they start at five times five at 85. <laughs> And you may progress for four weeks, but um, but but uh, as an elite athlete, um, you shouldn't be able to come like keep putting two and a half kilo on the on the bar and, uh, mm. and keep progressing. Like you need to find ways to progress further down the chain, in my opinion, before the the prime work is progressed that much. So that may also be one of the factors that that makes um, that helps with the, the 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 tolerance to to more work. Yeah. So in your mind, like how important is uh, like having a, an athlete's joint just like operate in the way it's supposed to in like terms of like having all the, the planes of motion and being strong and like all those versus like going down like the specificity route of just like, for example, like you gave the, if we just use the example of squatting, like you can practice barbell back squatting up to a certain point and you're going to get really good at that but then there's like diminishing returns on that. Um, so yeah, like how, how do you like balance those two and like think about keeping an athlete like well-rounded, being able to stay healthy and be able to use their uh, joints in sort of like an anatomically correct way versus like fitting them into like what they're supposed to be doing for the sport. Yeah. So um, again, the the way we pro- like we go about this for athletes is a bit different than just like general population clients, whatever, we always do our best to not um, fear monger in any ways in terms of any movements, uh, but being good at understanding, yeah, quote unquote, biomechanics, uh, like exercise uh, selection and, um, and and finding ways to move that feels better for, for a joint, for example. Yeah. You can, let's just use Andre as an example again, because he's been very vocal about like everything he's done he's been doing and all that kind of stuff um he had a lot of like elbow problems uh classic like crossfit um stuff with you know like uh, tendinitis and chronic elbow pain all that kind of stuff um if if we were to just start him out with doing a shit ton of bubble presses i'm not sure he would it would feel better for him so we just move more volume to a um, the like a little bit further down the specificity chain, whatever. Like if we, if the movement specificity is just doing that move, like the movement, because sometimes I also feel like specificity is just um, it's sacrificed for um, otherwise very good uh, training um, methods, whatever. Uh, doing a dumbbell shoulder press instead, or even a machine, if you you have one that's very good, that's it works in like let's say scapular plane or whatever that allows more range of motion, more um, more power output because it's a more stable environment. It's it again, it's more lengthened, it's more specific, it builds more muscle. That it feels better on the elbows. The the fact that you get a lower sensation of pain, whatever, and you get more muscle mass, and you train in an environment where you can get more uh, more ten like more total force output and tension. When you get back to say barbell lifting again you just need to practice the movement of course but then we often see that it has a huge carryover uh, and you can press uh, more weight afterwards 
So I I I'm not I I like um I I know that we have to have uh, the exercises that are that 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 you're doing in the sport, but a hack squat is highly specific in practicing force production in the squat pattern, uh, which will carry over to a regular squat. Um, and a lat pull down is, in my opinion, very specific specific to practicing force output that looks something like a rope climb, builds massive lats. It's going to help you. Um, and they're very, very, uh, very easy to overload. Just like when you, um, and in my opinion, they're like that's the basics. It's not the barbell stuff is not the basics, um, and these basics have carry over to specific stuff. Just as when you do a lot of simple, as you talked about improving the the, the row, like doing concept two machines, building aerobic base, it carries over into metcons if you know how to do the the skills. Uh, the necessary skills in the movement of the workout. Of course, you need to practice, like combining exercises, all that kind of stuff. But it's very, easy, it's much easier to for you to overload aerobic base. Or we'll do a view. That's why you do you do a view two max or test on a bike. You don't do it in a midcon. Like it's it's easier to overload. And if you if you're a soccer player and you want to get in in better shape, it, it's normal for them to use machines. It's not like you don't have to only play soccer to get better. <laughs> It's just a matter of how you view uh, exercise selection, um, and yeah, it, it it all falls back to like increasing force production capabilities when we're speaking strength, finding exercises that are like quote unquote similar enough, like the same type of vectors, the transfers to um, to the specific sport environment, and then we can train them both in like stable and less stable environments, and it, it usually it carries over great. <laughs> yeah, so. If people don't follow you on Instagram, they should because you post really good stuff all the time. But uh, one of the things I've seen you post on there is like, it's just you, you pay relative to other people who I've seen just do like more strength accessory type stuff. Um, you pay way more attention to the setups of lifts. You get way more intricate in how you think about helping an athlete create stability so that they can express power output really well. Um, and is that just going back to like, you want them to be able to produce the most amount of force possible, um, in a given range? Is that why? Um, yeah. So in terms of this, the overall like setup that for me, that's the most important thing to learn. If you're training people one-on-one, -on -one. one of the most important, like specific stuff, things you need to learn, because if you have a good setup, then everything like from the get-go, the movement is, you don't really have to have a lot of cues besides like press hard and power and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. you don't have to micromanage anything because if you're in a good position from the from the start of the lift uh the, the athlete is just gonna self-organize perfectly uh as they they start to do uh, more reps but um we we love using like and one of the things that <clears throat> has caught a lot of like more a lot but some people's attention is uh, that we use machines quite a lot and we try to use exercises more stable and um, what people could refer to as like bodybuilding type stuff. Um, and and uh, we incorporate external stability and, and a lot of different constraints. And so to answer why it's important to to do this, um, it's it's a great idea to really um, let people understand what we mean by strength. Because um, for me, strength is, uh, is, is means producing force. 
And getting getting stronger means being able to produce more force than you were previously capable of. And if you're in stable exercises, they allow for you to use a higher amount of both absolute and relative intensity. Um, and uh, and in the movement patterns you want to quote unquote overload or train. And using a hex squat lets you practice like the ability of creating very high levels of force production in a very just appropriately uh, constrained environment it's still it's still a squat but because of the way the movement is set up you cannot shoot your hips back for example it's um it's it's very it's very quote-unquote squat specific um it makes it way easier to focus purely on your um your output like the false output you you do and and uh, and the intensity of your com- contractions compared to if you're doing more complex non-constrained exercises like free weight movements where something like a barbell squat would be on the other end of the, the spectrum if we were placing the hack and a barbell squat on like a our own little theoretical continuum of, of, of squat patterns. Um, and then remembering that like increases in strength is um, it's not like a physical adaptation, but it's more like the combined ability to express multiple adaptations. So we, it's easier to get those mechanical uh, adaptations in terms of like more muscle mass and all that kind of stuff if we we can like log in and really make sure that it's the quads we're using compared to if you're doing a free weight squats where you're if you train at high intensities you will change the way you move and you should but it's just a different it's a different type of training um, it's hard to, to overload the specific positions uh, that we want to at high intensities because things are going to change again going back to like looking at movement screens and all that kind of stuff it's you cannot tell how how a person will squat with above 90 percent of their one rep max if you're just doing a a, a air squat it's it's still a fine thing to do but just know that there are huge differences so in my opinion things like hack squat all that kind of stuff it's in scene in isolation is a is a better tool for the for the job of creating strength because strength is essentially force production and then we just need to find good ways to um, to carry that over into the specific exercises and learn the movement coordinations and and all that stuff from this quote unquote base of of general strength training or the basics as I I like to call it. Yeah, and I would say you could probably argue that for a lot of athletes, especially people who have been around a while, they move well. Um, you're saying like an Andre who like. Yeah, you know, he does a movement once a month and it's still pretty refined, like a couple warm-up sets and he's ready to go. Uh, especially for people like that, it's like you don't need a ton more practice of the specifics. Like you just need a higher ceiling and you know, to be able to train the right systems. So to constrain the movement, like you're saying, uh yeah, it allows them to express maximally their their strength without having any technical breakdown that kind of like kind of just we you could call it like maladaptation basically like not getting the thing that you want out of it uh it just kind of it, it makes sure that you're you're able to get exactly what you want from a specific exercise to help, to help it improve yeah and I, I think that of course uh as you it's like you 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 shrugged a little bit when you said maladaptation because it's like but i it's like movement wise if you're constantly doing um that type of stuff you will 
learn how to move like that. And that's also why we, we don't peak every week because there's a huge difference in doing an RPE 9 at uh, above 90% than there is doing all your working sets at lower RPEs with quote unquote good tech, like the technique we want <laughs> yeah. uh, for most of the stuff. And then just practicing uh, the feel like the soft skills and all the, the skill of having even higher load where you need your form need to quote unquote break down or you just need to, to change the, your, um, the way you move uh, like your, your, to, to, to lift the bar. Um, so, so yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing that I've, I've seen you give a lot of is maybe not a lot of, but that, that you implement is, uh, like supported exercises. So for example, this is going to be really hard to explain, uh, over audio only, but, um, for example, if you were doing like, like a preacher curl would be an easy example, right? Like you're basically, your arm can't move backward in space, right? So if you're doing like a, for example, like a barbell bicep curl, you have your back against a wall where your elbows can't travel back behind your body. Why would you give those types of exercises? So uh, I like that you used uh, the curl, biceps curl as the <laughs> as the as the example. <laughs> Important exercise, but yeah, <laughs> I I uh, people they they may joke a little bit about being focused on like the arm training we're doing, but it, like if you have a CrossFit athlete and they don't have they have quote-unquote small arms and they sh they, they sh need to like they, they have room for them to get bigger why not because it will translate to a lot of the stuff you do in crossfit and you'll feel more resilient and can do more stuff uh, but we like to use both supported and unsupported variations but when we use the supported it's because we want more force output the same example like the same exact thing as when we did when we talk about, about the hex squat whereas when we do it unsupported it's more about creating that um, internal stability hmm. um it, it teaches you to do that but when you have more support it, it it's the external stability we try to take in to get more force total force output uh, and then it's also very good for hypertrophy work as it's easier to like fatigue the the tissues we want to in the positions that we want to if it's more like locked in space so to so to speak um but it's, there's still there's still some skill in learning how to use that external stability um and the funny thing is using preacher curl like just a single arm dumbbell preacher curl that's very well supported if you have someone even someone who's on the level as an andre and and, and big bigger guys um, the top of the top like having them train a set of biceps curl like preacher curl to failure they get pretty exhausted because they used to like good athletes are very good at um quote-unquote cheating uh, like in movement wise because they know how to uh, what do you call it like uh, movement um, economy economics whatever um but if you like that isolation stuff just and it's not only crossfitters but everyone take like if you have muscle mass and you take a a, a biceps preacher curl to failure you will get you will get out of breath <laughs> Uh, it's it's harder than than people realize because most people are used to just having three sets of fifteen dumbbell hammer curls at the end of the session and just standing there and swinging the dumbbells around. You might as well not do it, in my opinion. Why not have two very good uh, sets or even incorporate a, an arm day? Doesn't have to take more than thirty minutes. 
into your weekly schedule, then really focus on what you're doing and and then move on with your training week. And and then I also hear that um, like they it feels good on the elbows, all that kind of stuff, the shoulder joint. Like people, they tend to forget that the biceps and the triceps is the shoulder muscle. It, it crosses the shoulder joint. The, having the nervous system feel strong and competent in, in different levels of shoulder flexion, extension, uh, being able to create force and create internal stability in all, all those positions will carry over to your snatch and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I have no doubt about it. All right, last question for you. So if if you're going to often like superset things, uh, for example, say it's like a, a pressing and pulling, do you try to often line those things up where they're in the same plane? So for example, like a, a bent over row or like a, a cable low row with like a, a bench press, for example. Um, it when, when like pairing exercises, like a push and a pull, there are a lot of things that we can we can um, we can take into consideration like is the press a variation where the where the shoulder girdle uh, or the, the shoulder blade is pretty constrained like it it's like a, a barbell bench press then we may think about using a uh, pulling exercise where the, the shoulder blade can move more in space instead of having two exercises where they that are more biomechanically challenging so to speak um just to get a bit, a bit of a balance, uh, and I think I learned, I learned this principle from um, Stefan Cousseau from from Kilo Strength. Like if, if he has a a chin up variation that that's a little bit uh, awkward in terms of like your grip, he may he may use a a press variation that's more you have more like movement um, freedom, sort of like the shoulder blade and everything can move better. So that's one way to to think about it. You can also go more of like the almost like in one route where you very like fiber type like fiber um, specific. So if you if you do a a press for the clavicular pec or maybe like a press around fly or something, you can you can think okay if I if I shortened that uh, that clavicular pec fibers to the utmost fibers of the of the chest, that's the um, that's the position where my lowest lat fibers, the iliac lat, is lengthened. So you can do instead of just being um, thinking agonistic, antagonistic superset being chest and back, you can think um, iliac uh, iliac lat and clavicular pec, and you can do the same. So if you're doing a dip, you're doing more like a, a high to low, uh, a low to high row, and a and a high to low push, so you're pushing in the same plane. That's you. You could you could uh, play around with that, but um, for most people, it, it I don't I'm not sure it really matters. But I I I'm I'm glad that I <clears throat> know these types of exercises like press arounds that Kazam made Kazam Hansen made famous, and because there may be like someone like Andre who he he wants to be the like he wants to be the best in the world. And uh, if we see like his the top of his chest, there are room for more muscle mass. He didn't really have a lot of uh, of that, so it's very easy to incorporate some clavicular work. And and then behold, two years later, 
we have a, a wall facing handstand push up, mm-hmm. and he feels like he's just like yes, I, I like all the muscle mass he built, he can he can really like we talk about this often. Like he feels like he can change about change from doing using more anterior delt clavicular because he's so good at the pressing angles. Like clavicular is more like narrow, anterior mm-hmm. delt you go a little bit further out, uh, and he just kills that workout. Uh, like big strong guys, like big shoulders, and he just. He just flew past, and of course, he's also good at the echo bike. Right? But, but um, yeah. So, like, why not? Uh, if if your entire if it's your job and your entire life is revolved around being the best athlete you can be, you can try to find those quote unquote weak points and try to improve them. And it's not because of aesthetics, like a bodybuilder would do, but it's just make sure that you have you have muscle mass everywhere that can help you in in the in the exercises you want to do so yeah and then and then one other example we had with the, it has nothing to do with this like using the gym to yeah work on the things that may carry over into competition it's it's the same principle as uh, playing around with like your rest intervals we used to do uh, like we did i think we did 10 sets of two hack squats in one session where we had 10 minute rest between each set it sounds uh, from a lot of people it sounds uh, crazy uh, long rest periods, but then again, go to Dubai uh, class like Dubai um, championships. They have clean and jerks with like he had like fifteen minutes between lifts, and there's no stressing out because he's he's tried that at at the gym. And now he's at the competition floor. He knows that he can like he either he actually performs better when he has like this long rest. And it makes sense because of the the, the system we're training, but uh, like CrossFitters are used to like imams and all that kind of stuff instead of like really resting. So you can you can use the gym to make sure that that you're used to like these scenarios that can happen in, in competition. I love it. And now we're speaking like very elite like type stuff. Like yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I think you're gonna continue to get some uh, good publicity as you should. Um, I hope to see you continue to grow. I mean, the stuff you're doing is certainly unique and, uh, it's not just unique, but it's like sound like it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like, like sometimes I, 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 people think that I do stuff like very differently, but it's, it's, it's the print, like it's still the same principles that like applying, like just, I feel like sometimes when it comes to like helping CrossFit athletes that I just give them what like makes sense so to speak like because if you yeah i think if you like been in a in a like a, a method of training for so long um there there may be pieces that that you don't really see that are very to, that uh, pretty easy to incorporate and that's that's also the cool thing about crossfit like every year when i think athletes they 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 reach out and learn stuff like andre is very good at they incorporate it into the their own programs and it just expands very very fast in terms of like uh, as as like when like chris hinshaw came to like the aerobic stuff and all that so it just evolves very fast and see how to find the best combinations uh, for the sport so yeah but thanks for having me on it was uh it was nice talking thanks for listening today 
If you're someone who just found the show, I would encourage you to subscribe so you can stay up to date. If you're someone who's been listening for a while and enjoying what you're hearing, I would encourage you to leave a rating or review for the show. It would definitely help us out. And lastly, if you're someone who does take your fitness seriously and cares about your performance deeply, I would encourage you to look into hiring one of our coaches. Until next time, stay the course.